Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, September 8th starts now. On today's show, it's Friday, so oh, what a week it's been. Ben counts down the top stories of the week with a very special guest. Ben's talking with Politico's own Shia Kapos. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, anything else you want to know, just head to ChicagoReader.com. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Linda Lutton Friday, and here's why. Well, actually, of course, it's, oh, what a week. My distinguished guest, Gia Kapos. Yes. Shia Kapos is going to be joining me. Really thrilled about that. But I'm just alluding to the great Linda Lutton for years, WBEZ reporter. And Linda's on my mind today as I'm just thinking about the controversy swirling around SDG, Stacey Davis Gates, dear friend of the show who will be on on Tuesday. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates is the uh, uh, president of the Chicago Teachers Union, and the story broke. Uh, I've lost track of time, ladies and gentlemen, a couple of days ago. Uh, that is, she's sending her uh, freshman year uh, son to a private school, uh, a Catholic high school. And uh, so we all know, as the leader of the Chicago Teachers Union, as one of the most outspoken leftists in the city of Chicago, as a champion uh, for uh, fully funding pri- uh, public education, she's going to get slammed. <laughs> she's going to get hammered. She uh, has effectively become uh, just a favorite target. Well, she already was a favorite target for the right, but she will be slammed. And she's vulnerable in this. Absolutely. I've been around politics a long time. I have to say this. I love you, Stacey. I, but you're vulnerable on this one because as the head of Chicago Teachers Union, everyone expects you to send your kid uh, to a public school, not a Catholic school. Um, so I know they're going to come after you. They're going to hammer you. They're going to slam you, et cetera, and so forth. Now, I'll get to the Linda Lutton provision. Uh, one time years ago, Linda Lutton and I were panelists on some kind of, um, I forget what it was. Linda, I apologize for getting what it was, but I was being me and doing my thing <laughs> and talking on and on and slamming charter schools left and right. They're just, they're institutions set up by the right to destroy the, the teachers unions. That's what they are, et cetera, so forth. Uh, and I was feeling really good about it. I think the crowd was mostly on my side of things. And then Linda Lutton, wise woman that she is, uh, pointed out that parents who send their kids uh, to charter schools are not thinking themselves as chess pieces in a larger political game controlled by right-wing powers. No, they view themselves as parents looking out for the best interests of their children. And that they may think that sending their kid to a charter school is in their best interest. And Ben, you have to have compassion for those parents. That's what Linda Lutton told me. And then I, Big Dumpkey and I created something called the Linda Lutton Paragraph. Like every paragraph of every story that we did, or uh, every column in my case that I wrote, I always embedded the Linda Lutton Paragraph where you presented the other side. So you try to humanize the other side. It's hard to do with MAGA, ladies and gentlemen, okay, with Donald Trump. I must admit, it's really hard to humanize Donald Trump. But when it's parents dealing with the pressures of where they're going to send their children, their beloved children, nothing matters more to a parent than a child. Where they're going to send them uh, to school, it's like its own version of Sophie's Choice. Far removed from the real Sophie's Choice, ladies and gentlemen. I get in trouble with that analogy, but you get the point. And it's a very important decision, and it's a gut-wrenching decision. And you tend to put the politics aside. 
or whatever is the best interest of your child. I've had this conversation with so many politicians, Shia Kapos, down to the years. I've had this politicians with, excuse me, this conversation with lefty politicians, right wing politicians, Democratic centrists. And my general thing is I leave the kids out of it. So Rahm Emanuel sent his kid, uh, his kids to a private school. That was Rahm Emanuel's business. But he had his reasons. I don't know what his reasons were. I don't know the kids, but he had his reasons. That's the, that's his thing. It's when it comes to public policy matters come in and where I get mad. That's where I like take my stand. Same thing with Barack Obama, where he sent his children, Mayor Richard M. Daley, where he sent his children, Arne Duncan, where he sent his children. I just say, think Linda Lutton when you get to these moments. The decisions that parents make. I have no idea. I do not know Stacey Davis's, uh, Gates's son. Never met him. Uh, so whatever the issues are, they felt it was their best decision to send them there. That's how I leave it with a parental decision. But there are larger policy, in my humble opinion, there are larger policy uh decisions at hand. So suddenly Stacey Davis Gates becomes an advocate for funding Catholic education. I don't know, Stacey. <laughs> I don't know. All of a sudden, if you're Stacey Davis, you know, maybe we should give scholarships, take money from the public schools, give it to the Catholic schools. Just saying, I don't know. Okay. You may have crossed the bridge too far for me, but I'm sorry. I am not going to join the chorus that's condemning her. I didn't join the chorus that was ripping Rom. Or Darney or any of the others, I'm trying to think, who sent their kids uh, to uh, private or parochial schools. It's their decision as uh, as parents what they think is the best interest of their child. All right. Shia Kapos, the legendary political columnist uh, for Politico, has been patiently waiting uh, to come aboard. Welcome to my humble little podcast, Shia. Thanks for having me. Yes, and I have evolved like you did. My parents were both public school teachers, so I grew up thinking charter schools were the devil, <laughs> you know? And then um, then you realize that families have to make dis- certain decisions and, you know, you, you, can't, you can't hold them back for that. So I've evolved a lot on it. And um, uh, that doesn't mean, I mean, Stacy's in a different position because she had she not been so critical of those charter schools, <laughs> you know, and school choice in in such a vitriolic way, it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. But she was, you know, she has been very, you know, outspoken. So that's what makes it a thing, even though I think, of course, she has every right to do that, you know, absolutely. Well, I urge everybody to think Linda Lutton on this one. A wise woman, Linda Lutton. <laughs> oh, Lord, Linda would be just so embarrassed that I've been invoking her name at this moment because she does like, she really is one of those reporters here who wants to like let the story speak for itself. And she's not the center of the story. But uh, Mick Duncan and I always talk about that Linda Lutton quote. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, so before we uh, take a deeper dive into some of the uh, issues of the week, and we have a whole bunch we're going to talk about, I just got to say, people who uh, listen to the show know uh, Shia's name is invoked quite often on this show. I hope and, in a good way. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and uh, sometimes I go, damn that Shia. <laughs> um, so I owe this all to Dr. D, uh, who is the producer of the show for the first three years or so. Uh, Dennis before he went on uh, to bigger and better things. And um, so Dennis, uh, early on, we every day he would uh, have a rundown of what was going on uh, in the news. And there was a lot of downstate stuff. And I'm really into all, every every aspect. Gee, I am a political junkie. So if it's downstate politics, I'll talk about Chicago politics, suburban politics, Wisconsin, I don't care. I, I am a junkie. Okay, I'd be like, D, what, what, what? How do you know what's going on? Like, I don't know, Sangamon County. You know what? And he goes, and then he let it out. He goes, I've been reading Shia Kapos. I'm like, how come I'm not reading Shia Kapos? <laughs> 
So then, then I started subscribing, yeah. and then I. And so we always like we always give you credit because on our show we I always. That. Yeah, because we believe I believe in it, Shia, and you do it too. You got to give the reporter credit who yeah. did the work. You know, yeah, absolutely. So we've talked so much about you in the show. Our favorite Shia story was the time you got in a car. We had a field day with this one. Uh, I told you this briefly. It was when uh, we're in the middle of COVID and Wisconsin's Supreme Court ordered, uh, they ruled that the, the, the shutdown of bars was unconstitutional and that opened up bars. And you drove up to Kenosha. I think it was Kenosha. It was, was in it Kenosha. Kenosha. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Dennis and I were laughing. We're like, this girl is crazy, man, going yeah. up to that bar. I took my family with me too. They they waited in the car. They thought I was totally nuts. They were like, "What the hell are you doing?" Um, and it was nuts in that bar. Like, it was crowded, and that was at the time when it was really scary. Like, you're not supposed to be out, and and half the people, more than half the people, were from Illinois. They all went over the border to go to that bar. It was wild. Yeah, I think you took pictures of the license, or you mentioned the license. You maybe didn't take pictures. There was the picture. I think it was your picture. Yeah. I took I'm a picture. The picture of the guy, like two people at the bar, like <laughs> face to face, literally inches away. I'm like, guys, a little space, even if without COVID. Can we have a little space there? I know. It was so funny. My editors were thought it was hilarious, actually, in a scary way, you know. <laughs> did you, they couldn't believe it. Did you get COVID from that encounter? No, no, no. No, I didn't get it. Were you wearing a mask in the bar? Yes. Yeah. Did the people make fun of you for wearing a mask? No, but you know how it was. Like you wore a mask and people looked at you like, Oh, you're one of those. (laughs) (laughs) You're not from here. So, uh, yeah, no, that, um, actually that, uh, I saw a headline somewhere that those, uh, fights over masks are about to emerge again. Uh, this is not a story that I was prepared to discuss today. So I'm just pointing it out probably for discussion in a future show, uh, that, um, school districts i can't remember which uh, we're in the country but already you know school districts saying but there's a mini mini surge of covid now uh shia and so they're like mask requirements are coming back and already there's pushback so already there's legislation somebody's pushing legislation to make it illegal to uh enforce masks of any kind legislation in illinois no i think national yeah but that you know it that won't happen wow I think there's still enough Republicans who have had it and are worried about it that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. All right. Before we take a deep dive into the issues of the week, just give us folks a little a background on you. Just introduce yourself to our listeners. This is your first time on the show. So how did you get to this spot in your career uh, where you're writing the playbook uh, for Politico? Well, Anybody who's followed me for a while, they knew that I wrote something called the Taking Names column that was with Cranes for a long time. And then the Sun-Times, it was about notable names and what they did with their money away from the office kind of thing. So I often dove into political people. That's how I got to know J.B. Pritzker. And um, one day somebody called me and said, you should, you know, apply for Natasha's job. And um, Natasha Karecki is a person who had this before I did. She did a great job. And um, I applied and um, I I was very eager and I didn't think I would get it because I was a little bit like, I was I made for this job. <laughs> and um, part of what was attractive, I think, to editors was I was a I had been a political editor before I moved to Chicago. Uh, I was at the Salt Lake Tribune. And the Salt Lake Tribune is a state very much like Utah, or Salt Lake is like Chicago, sort of. Salt Lake's liberal, the way Chicago's liberal, and the rest of the state is super conservative. So you have like a minority Democratic Party trying to make inroads in a state that's all Republican. So I understood the dynamics of that in, um, in covering politics. And then I got the job, and I've just been doing it now here for five years, so... Were you a political junkie as a kid? Yes, I was on the student council and I was vice president of my high school. <laughs> I was, yeah, I, there was a point where I um, had to decide whether I wanted to go into, you know, political science or journalism. And it, it, I remember it was a conscious choice and I chose journalism. What, what high school did you go to? 
Davis High School in Caseville, Utah. <laughs> I learned how to drive a tractor before I learned how to drive a car. It's a farming community. Wow. That's yeah. Pretty, that uh, I, I don't think I've ever even been on a tractor. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I um, I was a political junkie at the early, a very, very early age. I caught the fever when I was about, I don't know, eleven, and it's just something yeah. that stays with you your whole life. Yeah, I mean, you probably like. I remember watching presidential, you know, races on election night, staying up late when it was actually decided on election night. That was a thing. That doesn't happen anymore, but. Oh man! Uh, all right, we're not going to go down this road, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a 1972, utterly obsessed with the McGovern Nixon uh, election. Uh-huh. That was my first major, major. Ma- I mean, at 68, I fob was a little too young for 68 to really immerse myself. But 72, I was a complete, total junkie. Been a junkie ever since. Every single presidential uh, election, up, up late following it, uh, and I'll follow it now. Like the, now it's two weeks. I'm every day. <laughs> Give me the. Anyway. All right. Uh, let's start with news of the week. Uh, and one I'll call a general topic. Uh, Mayor Johnson has. How do I? It seems to me, she and I'm not on the inside, but it seems to me that he is altering his media strategy a little bit. And I was a beneficiary of this yeah. uh, to a certain degree. On Tuesday, my Duke Massam and I uh, hosted our first Tuesday at the Promontory in Hyde Park, uh, and uh, Brandon Johnson came, and he spoke for about an hour, a little more. He would have spoke more. He was really into it, uh, but Ronnie Ray said, I see you, Ronnie, uh, came, literally came up to the stage with his phone out saying, that's enough. Uh, remember that he had his phone. I saw, out. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was pretty funny actually. He wasn't shy about it all. Just no. right up in front of everybody, like that's it. Five minutes. <laughs> it was a picture. By the way, there was like the there was an image of like a kid on the phone. I go, what, Ronnie? What are you showing me a picture of your kid? I went, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, uh, ben, you've had more than your anyway. It was very generous of you, uh, uh, Brandon Johnson, to come. But then, like the next day. Um, getting all mixed up with my days or maybe two days later, he did a, a forum uh, for a business grouping uh, group downtown Chicago. He gave uh, Fran Spielman an exclusive interview about uh, Tent City, uh, which she yeah. dropped on her podcast. So I'm like, hmm, they're letting Brandon be Brandon. No more of this. Confine him to 10 minute little interviews that he gave to like you and McDumkey and Mick's still mad about that. Uh, and uh, I called it speed dating. It's the way it was set up. It was like speed dating. So, <laughs> yeah. So maybe he's changing his strategy a little bit. Uh, before I, I ask the main thing I want to ask you about, do you think he's changing his strategy or is this just a coincidence? Um, it might be changing. Maybe they realize giving 10 minute interviews doesn't really get his message across you know if he really wants to have the media share his message he's got to give us time to really talk to him and he's been selective he you know he selected you you are a friend of the left you know so that he feels comfortable and he and he's known you for a long time um i would be a nice person for him to interview at length but he hasn't done that for me yet uh and then uh, the i imagine the event last night with the economic club because it wasn't a journalist asking questions maybe um i mean i don't know what kind of arrangements they made maybe they talked in advance about what he would address or not address when it's not a journalist doing it you know it's a different thing so and i don't know what that was well, you are, as far as I know, maybe uh, maybe one or two other people are that you're the only person I know who was at both events, mm-hmm. uh, the, the show that Maya and I did at the Promontory uh, and the uh, event, I don't know if I call it a show, that he did with the business people. Yeah. Uh, so was there, in your humble opinion, a noticeable difference between the approach he took Tuesday uh at the promontory with Maya and myself and the approach he took, I think it was last Thursday, get my days all mixed up, Shia, uh, with the business people. He, um, he addressed a lot of the same things, though I think he went a little bit deeper with his, uh, the issues that he's most passionate about, uh, the bring Chicago home effort, 
uh, that would benefit people who are homeless. I, he was more willing to be open about that with um, your event, I thought. Um, he only touched on it very briefly uh, last night at the economic club with business people. The economic club is like top business, civic people who uh, I would say the crowd the crowd was supportive of him. I, I think a lot of people there were, you know, backers of, of the mayor when he ran for office. But there were some people that I know who who were Vallis people who were there. Um, I think a lot of people, even if they were Vallis people, want to give him a chance. Um, I didn't talk to haters there last night. I think people really, you know, they want him to succeed. Um, but he did have a lot of his supporters there, too. Um, so he, he was a little bit more broad last night. And I think that was a problem because that, that business crowd really, they want specifics. If you're going to, if, if somebody is going to ask you a question about the budget, they want to know what, what are you going to do? And I think the, um, the economic club, uh, chairman Connolly asked him like, so what's up with, you know, tax taxes, what's going to happen? <laughs> And he kind of gave this broad answer and everybody was like, what? Like, that's it. Give us something more. You know, um, he's a very good speaker. You know, he he you, he's the son of a preacher. He learned how to reel in the crowd. The crowd eats him up like they love him. They want to hear more from him. They, he's he's just enough funny. He's topical. He could be, you know, he, he's he's a really good speaker. Uh, uh, but last night, that crowd wanted to get a little bit deeper. They already know he's a good speaker. So they want more specifics on what he's going to do with the budget, with, you know, the quote mansion tax. He want, they want to know what's going to happen with that. Um, so, so he, so I, I don't know, it's only been a hundred days, hundred, little over a hundred days that he keeps reminding us, you know, um, so it's, you know, maybe in the next hundred days, we'll press it more. <laughs> well, okay. So let's get to the budget stuff. And this is so funny. You mentioned, I was smiling when you were uh, on that riff there. Uh, before we did our show, Maya and I were going over like, what questions should we ask them? And then, oh my goodness, uh, I should probably write a story about this because like, I, I think I shared this with you. Uh, and I said it on the mic, uh, I think. I like, I kept thinking, I'm only going to get 10 minutes. I've been promised more, but I got a feeling it's going to come late, leave early, and I'm going to end up with 10 minutes. And uh, I think I predicted that to you on the show. You did, yeah. Uh, before we... And I go, see, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, she told me you were coming. I go, I hope it's worth your schlepping down to the promontory because <laughs> I don't know. And uh, so mine are like trying to figure out what questions do we ask if we have an hour? What questions do we ask if we have 10 minutes? So I was like, well, let me ask a budget question. And Maya, I was like, no, he's not going to give you an answer on a budget question. No one ever, no one ever gives it. She's absolutely right, by the way. No one ever, they're not going to give you an, it's just going to waste time. It's just going to go on a, you know, a tangent. And the next thing you know, we're yeah. out of time. Uh, <laughs> I could just see that business club. My old poker playing pal, Greg Hines. What up, Greg? <laughs> I don't know if you know that. She, years ago, Greg and I played poker together. He probably never told you about you that. You and Greg Hines? Oh, you know, I oh. sat by him for like five or six years when I was at Cranes. He's the best. Yeah, he's a great reporter, but a lousy poker player. Uh, uh, <laughs> you heard that, Greg. Uh, anyway, um, so he would always, Greg's always trying to pin down politicians like, what? How much of a tax increase is it going to be? I remember when J.B. Pritzker was running uh, in 2018. You remember that? And he was yeah. for a progressive tax. Every reporter, how much is it going to be? Right. That went for a long time. And J.B. be looking at you like that J.B. style. Go, you could ask the question, but I'm not going to answer it. And then he would duck and dodge. I called him J.B. Travolta because so he was so quick on his feet. <laughs> Sugar Ray Pritzker, man, you couldn't land a blow on him. All right. Mm. And I got a feeling uh, Brandon's the same way. And so the reality is you got all these business guys go, well, how much is the bottom line, uh, Mayor? You know, what's, what's the tax? And Mayor Johnson's looking at them like, why would I tell you? I'm just going to get ripped. I'm going to control 
the unveiling of this little nugget. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but there was another question last night where it was about they wanted to know his take on public-private partnerships like the um, – what's the one near Lincoln Park? Lincoln Yards. Mm-hmm. And his answer was really vague. And I think I think that crowd just wanted to know like – a little bit of specifics so we know how to pitch you. We want to pitch the mayor. What does he like that we could pitch him on? And and that didn't come across, you know. Um, you could tell, like, they kind of leaned forward. They wanted to know about that. <laughs> and um, and they didn't get it. Uh, so. That's hilarious. I wish I was there, actually, to hear how he answered that question. Uh, and uh, because that's a whole interesting uh, – and, again, shout out to Cranes. They were the ones who did the major reporting on the Sterling Bay that was uh, promoting the uh, Lincoln – uh, yards project. Uh, they've hit a wall to put it mildly and I'm blanking on the reporter's name. I humbly apologize. I'd like to give her, but Sterling Bay appealed to the Chicago teachers union pension to bail them out of that project, uh, right. put more money into that project because they need it. Uh, they've hit a wall to put it mildly. The, uh, the market has radically changed uh, from 2019 in terms of commercial real estate. Uh, and so I don't know what the future of that project is. And then ultimately the, teacher's pension fund turned them down uh and uh so but brandon johnson's position there was very important she had because like he could influence but do a little leaning on the chicago uh teacher's pension fund to get them to kick in on that project if he does that lefty's like me will be screaming so it's one of those things like i don't know if he's figured out where he is on this stuff and maybe that's maybe that's why it was a little bit the answer the other thing you know there's like an hour and a half uh, cocktail hour before the dinner it seemed like and everybody was talking about Franz Spielman's story about the plan to have um, asylum seekers live in giant tent cities even in the winter so everybody well everybody was buzzing about that and And there was no question about that. I mean, that's where a journalist would have asked the question had a journalist done uh, the interview. Uh, There was no question about it. And he didn't, uh, you know, he only had one minor mention of asylum seekers in terms of kids being in schools. Um, So that was, uh, you know, everybody, I think, was kind of hoping to hear more on that. So, well, we got into that on Tuesday uh, and I position the question the way I always position it. Uh, crisis versus opportunity. Do you view this as a crisis or do you view this as an opportunity? Uh, and more or less, he said he views it as an opportunity. Uh, but the reality, Shia, is I don't think anybody uh, has figured out a way to present this influx of asylum seekers as an opportunity for Chicago. There's just too many political pitfalls to it. You're going to upset right. one community or another. There's not my backyard responses. If you put the, something in their, uh, uh, in their neighborhood, like a, a housing shelter in their neighborhood, I don't feel as though anyone, including my beloved left, has figured out how to address this issue in a compassionate way, in a sensible way to the people of the city of Chicago. And meanwhile, Shia, the buses keep arriving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and the challenge is uh, they don't know how many. Like, it would be one thing if if the city knew we're going to get five buses of 50 people every single day. And so you can plan ahead. But as it is now, they might be planning for... 100 people a day to arrive, but then suddenly that shifts to 200 a day. And who knows if that's going to be more, you know, it's so it's hard to plan when you don't know what to plan for. So I I feel for the challenge. And part of me uh, personally, I don't know that some people are appalled at the idea of uh, tent cities. Um because it could lead to, you know, could they lead to squalor? Could they, you know, I don't know. My first thought was, well, maybe that's a good idea because it costs, I think uh, the mayor said at your event, it it costs so much to rehab buildings. You know, you can't just go put people in these empty schools. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate those schools, you know, that, you know, 
it ended up that way when they were closed. Uh, but now, so now they're trying to figure out how to adapt. And, you know, at least for now, maybe those tent cities will work. I don't know. Well, I, uh, for what it's worth, this is me speaking, not she speaking, not Brian Johnson speaking. I think that I really believe, and I humbly hope that the, the mayor's people just take this challenge to express it as opportunity. So, for instance, yes, when he said what he said and that you just uh, alluded to at, at Tuesday's show, and he was talking about a, a, a abandoned schools, vacant school buildings and vacant buildings throughout the city of Chicago, I'm thinking, well, there's a buildings program right now. It's right there. There's a buildings program mm-hmm. that... To, don't talk about it in terms of housing asylum seekers. Talk about it in terms of a building. We have a major. What would what did uh infrastructure? Isn't that what Joe Biden? Called? It's an infrastructure program. That's good. <laughs> My point is, you should think it as an opportunity. Position it as a buildings program, and uh, and put people to work in communities where there's high unemployment. And to do that successfully, to make it sort of like a, a New Deal program, Shia, that requires federal assistance and that's the point right. i raised with him on tuesday right. where it's like are you going to start putting the squeeze on joe biden president biden's coming here with the convention in 2024 we need help mr president we need help politically i don't know do you think that's in the waters what's your sense of things well uh the mayor and the governor are very very careful about how they approach this they have called a press conference saying we need federal money whereas eric adams in new york says joe biden you need to send us more money now is that because the they want to be able to work well with the democratic party because the convention is coming here or is it midwest sensibilities when i had my 10-minute interview with the mayor he said you know that's not my style i asked him about eric adams he's like you know that's not my style i don't I don't operate that way Um, where, you know, Eric Adams is a little bit in your face looking for uh, attention maybe, or just, you know, maybe he thinks that he'll get action that way. Um, uh, Whereas Pritzker and Johnson are a little bit uh, softer in their approach, though it's clear they've made their point, you know, they know. The um, somebody said this to me who was in the audience. Uh, I'll give a shout out, Linda. It was Linda who said this to me. Shout out, Linda. And get your response to this, Shia. So after I had the conversation on Tuesday uh, with uh, Brandon on this point where I said you should be more open. I, I think I did allude to Eric Adams. He's more like Eric Adams on this and demand. Uh, and then he had his response. Uh, Linda came. Uh, Linda told me. She said, you know, Ben, that it's all good and well for you to say that here in the city of Chicago. But how would it play politically for Joe Biden? Think of it from Joe Biden's perspective. How would it play politically for Joe Biden uh, in swing districts in Wisconsin or Michigan, et cetera, if money were sent to the city of Chicago? That would be like favoring the city of Chicago. And the Republicans could use that against Joe Biden in the election. And uh I had an immediate response of who cares? The Republicans are going to use everything they can against them anyway. Just send us the mm-hmm. money. Uh, but what's your thought on uh, the Linda position? Uh, that's a good point. Maybe that's why it's uh, been nothing has happened yet, at least. But, you know, enough states are even Massachusetts now is is having meetings to talk about how they're going to deal with uh, some of it's a, at a lesser level there. But um uh, I think it's becoming a national thing um, to deal with it. So I don't know. Well, I do know that uh, Tent City won't work, in my humble opinion, uh, if it's still around in the summer of 2024 when the Democrats have their convention here. Right. Can you imagine, Shia, what the Republicans' Fox TV is going to do with Tent City? The image of it, yeah. Fox News would have it all over the, you know, the video. It would be crazy. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping uh, that the Johnson administration kind of rethink this one a little bit. Uh, and, you know, there's been all kind. It could be a trial balloon. Uh, they were using Fran to like, float out the trial balloon. You know what yeah. I'm saying? She and then yeah. they see what the reaction is. Ugh, we'll pull back yeah. on that one. Um, uh, not to belabor this, but I do think if if the Biden administration were to act on accelerating job uh, to get uh, to get people into jobs, 
uh, I think that is what Johnson and Pritzker would really like to see. Uh, and if that can happen, then, um, you know, that, that could kind of uh, alleviate some of the problems and stresses going on. Because these families, you know, they just want to establish, you know, homes, they want to live here, they want to work here. Um, I think it's really cool that the city lets everybody in and it's, you know, who knows? And in 10 years, imagine what the stories will be in 10 years when we write about how this wave of immigrants changed the way the city was, you know, it'll be, it'll be exciting. That is articulating the opportunity. Right. That what Shia Koppels just did, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> was articulated the opportunity. And I am so serious when I say this, Shia, I have read countless articles uh, in various publications over the last couple of years about what a crisis Chicago is facing because people are leaving. Here we have a situation where people are being bussed in. And I, I say flip it. And you know what? It would have been a great thing to hear him say at the economic club, not just a bunch of lefties and a promontory. You know what I mean? Yeah, but right. the, the business community. You've been saying for a long time, we're losing people. We need people to work in our factories. We need people to work in our restaurants. We need people to work in our... Well, here we go. Greg Abbott's sending them by the busloads. It's an opportunity. Are you going to join me in figuring out a way to bring them into town? I would have I'd have loved to hear that. You get what I'm saying? Well, and you made a good point at your event um, the other night when you said, remember, you know, when there was talk about Amazon coming here and the, what, 5,000, 10,000 people it it was going to bring it's like well if if that was a good thing why can't we see this is a good thing and try to work with it somehow it's just it just costs money to do that that's the problem oh, i mean amazon was going to cost at least two billion at least two billion <laughs> that's about the only part the, the, that one was um uh a router and rom initiative and they, remember they cloaked that uh they said there was a confidentiality agreement between Amazon and the city. I can't believe we lived through that, uh, Shia. Journalists had to deal with this. They said there was a confidentiality agreement between Amazon and the cities. So that, Amazon was during Rom's administration. I can't believe it was so long ago. Yeah, it was, it was Rom. Rom and Ron are, oh, they were joined at the hip on that one. Uh, um, and uh, but, but think about this, Shia. I remember the quote was Fran Spielman. I got it out of him. Uh, good, good work, Fran. She was interviewing some official and raw i can't remember who's now just trying to think of his name i couldn't but it doesn't matter who he was he was some uh official in ram who was overseeing uh, the amazon uh, process and and she was demanding that he give out the terms of the agreement the offer that the city had made and uh and he goes to her what part of non-disclosure uh, agreement are you not understanding it was so sarcastic so classic rom like rom yeah yeah you know like, what part of it well why is there a non-disclosure agreement on what we the public are offering amazon <laughs> what part of that don't you understand yeah, that's funny. Uh, all right. Uh, in addition to covering uh, Chicago politics, you ever also cover uh, state politics and national politics. Yeah. So let's deal with a couple of issues. Uh, yeah. You did the story. Uh, you broke the story a couple of days ago, I think it was, about the race for Congress. Uh, Darren Bailey, the Republican oh, yeah. mm -hmm. nominee for uh, governor. Remember him, ladies and gentlemen? Mm -hmm. uh, from 2022 campaign is now running for Congress against Mike Boss, the incumbent. They're trying to out-Trump each other. Uh, and you had a scoop about uh, the guy that uh, we call Baby Donnie on the show, Donald Trump Jr. So take it away, Shia. Yeah, well, Donald Trump Jr. is um, making stops around the country promoting his dad's book because his dad's busy right now. So <laughs> so uh, one of those, I think he has three stops next month in um, Illinois. One of them is in Effingham with uh, Darren Bailey, which and Darren Bailey is making it a fundraiser for his campaign. And um, I think Bailey, you know, bought a hundred books and everybody who pays to come to his event gets a book. Um, and uh, Don Jr. is there. Uh, it, it's he won't be in endorsing because it's not an endorsement thing but um but you know uh bailey and bost are both angling hoping to get uh donald trump senior's endorsement and uh, short of that i think um you know they would probably both want him to stay out of it if they, you know if, if he's not going to endorse and just you know or if, if bailey anyway if you know if, if he 
doesn't endorse boss, don't endorse anyone at all or vice versa. So um, I think that's where they're coming on that. And um, that race, I think, is going to be really interesting. I know people in Chicago area probably aren't as tuned into it, but I think it it uh, it's probably the well, next to the state's attorney's race, it's probably one of the most interesting races going on in 2024. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it is a battle for the heart and soul of MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mike Bost, I'll remind everybody, uh, before he was a congressman, was a state uh, rep, and he earned his uh, his fame. Uh, I, he owes pretty much, I believe, uh, his advancement to Congress uh, based on that performance she, I don't know if you were covering politics at the time, where he threw a, a major, huge hissy fit on the floor of the state house. He's I've mad. seen the video. Oh my God. I'm sick of it. And he threw all he was mad at Madigan. <laughs> I love it, man. He threw all the papers in the air. Yeah. Uh, and and they're all every Republicans, yeah, man, you speak for us. And they elected him Congress. Uh I thought he was unbeatable as a as a congressman. And well, he, he has been. I mean, he, you know. He has practically had no, uh, no competition in primaries, and he, you know, sails through during the general election. He's he voted with Trump, I'm sure, like ninety five or ninety eight percent of the time uh, in Congress. So uh, he is a loyal Trump supporter. He got the endorsement of Trump two years ago or last year when um, he ran for Congress. Uh, he got it two days after Trump endorsed Bailey for governor. Um, so. Man, Trump, Bailey had to pursue Trump to get that endorsement. That, yeah, that he, when you said that, brought back memories. DB going out for Trump. Remember that? How yeah, hard he, yeah, yeah. And, and Trump came to Illinois. Remember that speech Trump gave? Yeah, Mary Miller yes. was there. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't believe, I'm going to, stick my neck out on this one and get your response. I don't believe Darren Bailey could defeat Mike Bost without a clear endorsement from Donald Trump. I do not believe he can win enough MAGA votes without Donald Trump saying, this is my guy. What do you think? I don't know. I think it depends on how much money he can raise. Um, you know, I think their internal polling says they're ahead, but, you know, polling, who knows what polling means? You know, I don't know. Um, everybody's internal polling has their candidate ahead. Um, uh, Bost, I think, is sitting on more money right now. I think we'll know in two weeks and uh, uh, then Bailey. So maybe it'll come down to money. I, I just don't know, because, I mean, look at uh, Mary Miller. I mean. I, I didn't know she could actually pull through to get um, uh, to beat. Boy, now can, how how is it that I'm forgetting? <laughs> I, I you know Mary Miller surprised by winning. So how a veteran uh, member of Congress? So oh yeah, in the, in the last in twenty uh, yeah. twenty two uh, right. when they when the Dems. Chris Wells, shout out. Uh, they played the gerrymandering game. They put all the Republicans in the same district, and right. uh, it was like uh, Hunger Games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when, how do you think abortion will play uh, in, I'm just thinking this out loud, uh, in the Boston-Bailey uh, race? Ba Darren Bailey uh, is, uh, to put it mildly, a, a, a foe of abortion rights. Well, so is Boston. I mean, they both are, they both come to it from the same place. So I don't know that it will play out in that race. I think it will up in the suburbs here in terms of um, maybe in the primary, in a Trump versus Nikki Haley versus Chris Christie primary versus DeSantis. You know, that abortion might be an issue in the northern suburbs. I, um, uh... I would I would tell you right now I would, I had a conversation a little earlier uh, about this uh, with another uh, guest David Ferris uh, and there was an article that broke uh, in I think it was NBC uh, News uh, about how Republican Senate Republicans in Wa in Washington are are thinking about changing the name of the anti-abortion movement from pro life. Did you oh. see this? Because no. pro life. Uh, they've decided from polls. I, I, I'm almost, I, I can't even say this with a straight face. It has like a bad 
rep right now. Isn't so that funny? Yeah, they're going to repackage it. Go ahead. Interesting, because that's always been the, quote, problem with the pro-choice movement. I mean, uh, liberals let conservatives control the word life, you know, yeah. when uh, I, I have always thought the messaging on abortion was never uh, was never uh, captured the right way. And that was part of the problem that the left had in um, supporting uh, abortion rights. Um, so now you've got the right thinking that pro-life isn't the right word. That's interesting. I know. No, they're they're backing away from that. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I too forgot the name. I can't believe it. I humbly apologize. Uh, Rodney Davis. Rodney Davis, the, of course. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that was the name <clears throat> that uh, we were both struggling to, uh, <laughs> to think of. But uh, no, I, I'll be following that. Um, I'll be following uh, the, the the machinations on the issue of what to call themselves uh, as we head into election season. So it will be, you're right, uh, it will be a big issue, I think, uh, in uh, uh, suburban races, but probably, yeah, take probably out of that. It will not be an issue uh, in the uh, Boston-Bailey uh, race. Uh, on the other hand, they'll be going like, to the extreme to prove they're the most <laughs> anti-abortion. Uh, right, right. Uh, so, um, all right, now let's talk about the Republican uh, debate that took place in Milwaukee about a week ago oh, yeah. or two weeks ago, whatever it was. We obsessively talked about it on the show uh, in the days afterward. Uh, I, I wouldn't raise it at all, except that you uh, reminded me before we went on the air uh, that you were there. Yeah, it was great. Uh, no, talk about I it. hadn't been to a live uh, presidential debate, so I was really excited. Though when I say live, I was in the press room with uh, and the spin room with everybody, with all the media uh, watching it on big giant screens. And then I, um, <laughs> I, uh, when the evening wrapped up, I might be getting ahead of myself. When the evening wrapped up, I started walking out and ran into literally Don Trump Jr. who was coming in to go to the spin room, but they wouldn't let him in. He wasn't allowed in the spin room. So I got in the way, I would mistakenly got in the way of the security guy pushing Don Jr. out and then, he just stopped and did the spinning right there. So it was kind of fun to get the spin from him right there after the debate. Um, uh, I thought the debate was great just because it was, um, because there wasn't a Donald Trump over talking or, or interrupting and all the stuff that he was doing. Uh, I felt like people, um, it was spirited, but controlled enough. So everybody got to say their thing. Uh, everybody got to kind of show who they were. You could see the difference between a Christie and a Haley, um, Ramaswamy. You know, everybody got introduced to him. So I thought it was really exciting. Uh, and it was a good practice. I went because um, the Republican convention will be there. So uh, and uh, the Republican, the RNC folks saw that as a good practice ahead of next year's convention. And so it was interesting to see how it was run and uh, what the setup was. So what was Don Jr.'s spin? Okay. What, let's set it up. Ladies and gentlemen, the <laughs> daddy Don said he chose not to participate because he didn't. Well, who knows what the real reason is? I have to think his lawyer said, don't go, but whatever. It doesn't matter. He didn't go. Uh, and, uh, but he d did send Donnie Jr. to show up to do the spin. So what was the spin? The spin was that Ron DeSantis didn't do well, you know, and he made his point about why DeSantis, uh, should have, or that, that just DeSantis didn't, um, that he's not a good debater in general, that he, you know, is too canned. I'm trying to think with some of the other phrases that he used. Uh, it's kind of the criticisms that people have about him in general, um, the way he interacts with uh, people. Uh, but of course, it was Don going kind of over the top, saying he clearly lost. You know? Wait, so you were one on one with him, or were there other reporters around you? I started one on one, but then there were, you know, everybody started gathering around him at that point. So Wow, it was kind trip, of wild. Man. Yeah. Well, what that tells you, ladies and gentlemen, I will interpret what politicians say. I've gotten good at this over the years. So when uh, baby Don says that Ron DeSantis didn't do well, 
That was Donald Trump Jr.'s way of saying uh, our polls show that Ron DeSantis is number two to my father in the polls. So we got to crush him. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's saying, ladies and gentlemen. That could be. That could be. Although, in my opinion, this is me speaking, not Shia. I agree with him wholeheartedly. Ron DeSantis was awful in that debate, in my opinion. He was like a. It was like watching a statue speak. And, yeah. uh, you know. Well, he, I don't know that he was a statue, but there was an expectation that everybody would be attacking him. And that was not the case. So, uh, and maybe that's why I like the debate too. It wasn't anybody exactly attacking anybody, except I was surprised by Pence and Ramaswamy coming at each other. So that was kind of a generational thing, watching the two of them come against each other. That was interesting. Well, you know what? That was interesting. And uh, I got a few years on you, uh, generationally speaking. Uh, But watching Ramaswamy attack Mike Pence for Mike Pence delivering a classic Reagan line (laughs) uh, was, man, wow, have things changed in the Republican Party? Yeah. Uh, that sunny optimism of Reagan was suddenly a detriment in the eyes of Ramaswamy, and he was mocking it and maligning it. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know what to say. I guess the Democrats sort of did that when Bill Clinton, remember in 92, said the day, day of big government is over, which is moving away from the New Deal. But he didn't go out and say, crash FDR, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, yeah, I also thought Nikki Haley, uh, that that debate benefited Nikki Haley because she spoke about an abortion in a way that I could see uh, suburban Republican women kind of getting behind a little bit. And um, and she also put Ramaswamy in his place on um, foreign relations, you know, that he doesn't know anything. So I thought she came out really strong, too. Um and Christie came out smart and not overly aggressive. Like, I think we all thought that Christie would be out there like, you know, and he, he I thought they were all, you know. If you're a Republican, I, I think that you got a good sense of everybody who was there and what you what you have to choose from. Well, I'll close it down with this, uh, this latest thing that's popped into my head. And uh, this is fresh coming out of my brain as we speak. She oh, Lord dear. knows where I'm, I'm racing. I know. I'm, I'm holding sc- onto the table. I'm here. scared too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's part of a discussion I had earlier. I've already alluded to with David Ferris about the issue of the Fourteenth Amendment possibly uh, being interpreted, strike possibly interpreted to prevent Donald Trump from having ballot access. Right. Uh, because he, uh, the issue of him participating with the insurrection against the government to try to block Joe Biden uh, ascension to presidency. Mike Pence has essentially said that's what Donald Trump tried to do. There's cases, the law uh, in Georgia and uh, uh, in Washington against him on this issue. Uh, Asa so Hutchinson said it during the debate too, I think. Asa yeah. Hutchinson said it during the debate. Two law professors, one from the University of Chicago, uh, have uh, written a uh, lengthy uh, uh, article for a um, the University of Pennsylvania Law Journal arguing that it's not even an issue. He should not be allowed on the ballot. He should not be given ballot access. He's violating the clause in the 14th Amendment that says that if you participated, like in a, I forget the exact language, an insurrection in this country, you should not, you're not eligible for office. Uh, and these are conservative law professors doing who believe in literally reading the Constitution, taking it word by word what it says, okay? No interpretation, ladies and gentlemen, the purists on, on this issue. Uh, and so I thought immediately, the old Chicago political observer that I am, this battle act, we see this every four years in the mayoral and ornament collection. You don't have enough signatures to make the, the ballot? You're yeah. gone, baby. There are rules and regulations that govern your right to be on a ballot. If you violate a rule or a regulation, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. And I'm like, uh, hello, Republican nominees. You want to be president of the United States? The only way you're going to be president of the United States is be the nominee. The only way you're going to be the nominee is get Donald Trump off the ballot because he's running number one now. So I'm like, hey, Chris Christie, challenge him. Pretend you're like some alderman running in the the example I use, the 50th Ward, go challenge the opposition and kick yeah. them off the ballot. 
Uh, your thoughts about they don't, the Dorofsky None of those theory. candidates have, they don't have money to spend to do that, I think. I mean, Trump would challenge them all the way. Do they want to put all their money, their campaign money towards that? I don't, I don't know. I think fundraising is an issue. They all need to, they, they can barely keep up as it is. Do they want to focus on that? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Which is an I, issue here, too. You know, that's an issue in Chicago, too, whether people want to put money into it. Yes. Uh, and generally speaking, incumbents do put, they have more money than the challengers, so they will put the money in. Uh, and uh, there's a lawyer, election lawyer named Michael Casper, who is really good at kicking people off the ballot. Right. So, Chris Christie, here's my advice. Give Michael Casper a call. Okay. His name's in the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll take the case. He usually represents yeah. uh uh, Democrats, I, um, I, I'm with you on this. I, I don't think it's the money. I think it's, uh, I just think they won't do it because they would be hated by yeah. Republicans. Yeah. They're already dancing around how they can criticize him anyway. Only Chris Christie and sort of Asa Hutchinson really came out against Trump. Everybody else said they would, didn't they all raise their hand and said they would, uh, you know, back him if he's the nominee. I mean, that was Wait, cool. were you in the room when they did that? No. Oh, you we were? They, saw it. Yeah, we oh, were in like, the press area. Okay, they put you in the press area. I was just like, I love that thing where they, where first they asked to raise the hands on climate change and DeSantis, I am not a child. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to raise my hand. Uh, and uh, and then when it came to Trump, they all raised their hand. They wanted, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, well, I'll raise my hand about this. Suddenly, I'm a child. Yeah. Uh, except for Christy was hilarious. She, uh, he got first. He didn't raise his hand. Then he raised yeah, his hand. Then he did. That? Yeah, it was a little awkward. And he said he wasn't raising it to endorse him. He was raising it to what? He wanted to be recognized. Yeah. That's yeah. the question. All right, Shia, you've been a good sport coming on the show. I appreciate it. Anything you want to uh, tell folks before you leave? How about promote your uh, the political newsletter? Tell folks yeah, where they can uh, follow it. Go. Yeah, it's hard. Okay, the newsletter, you got to Google me. Shia Kappas, uh, Illinois Playbook. You'll find it uh, online and just uh, it's free to subscribe Monday through Friday. Uh, next week, uh, the Democratic National Committee members are coming to town, a pre convention things. So I'll be writing about that, uh, which will be fun and interesting uh, because uh, I feel like the Illinois playbook is going to become a, a go-to for uh, everything about the convention. So if you want to know about the convention, come to playbook. You really want to know about anything politics, man, just subscribe to the playbook. Uh, don't, don't, don't be like me in the early days. Okay. Dr. D told me about the playbook and it's the first thing I read every day. Uh, Shia, uh, I'm Good. still in bed, half asleep. It's ungodly hour of 9.30 or 10 a.m., whatever I'm rolling out of bed. Uh, I got a show to do. Uh, let's see what Shia has to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, then I get to my beloved bright one, which is. The Are same. you on my on my birthday list? Make sure I have your birthday. Mm, um, I see that birthday list. I'm not on your birthday. I, there's a couple things that uh, Shia does, okay. like to have these little trivia questions in there, uh, or like, and then uh, who? Um, my guy, uh, it's, uh, Clem Balanoff has always come right in it with like like. He has the answers to them. You have trivia questions, Illinois trivia, none of which I ever know, which I'm always losing. I know. There are there are people that uh, answer trivia every day. It's very competitive. Uh, and then uh, and then some people, other people do the Reader Digest, which is a little lighter question. It's a more personal thing. Trivia is more like all about Illinois trivia. So yeah, it's pretty intense. And then there's um, this is my absolute pound for pound favorite uh it's like so someone's in the news uh and, and she uh, will have written about that person so let's say michael joseph madigan's in the news because you know he decided he uh is not going to run for re-election as 13th ward democratic committee right right so and so she will report that and then further down she goes hey michael madigan give me a call or what i forget how you phrase it <laughs> if you're michael madigan yeah. i want to hear from you yeah and um, I put a different name there every day. It's more, it's kind of funny. People do call me. Um, 
people, some people take it weirdly seriously, you know, people who read playbooks, somebody emailed me once and said, like, can't you find your own sources? Do you have to do it that way? And I'm like, come on, dude, I'm just having fun. <laughs> but, you know, like the, the house speaker spokesman called me and said, uh, no, Shia, the speaker's not going to talk to you today. That's like Chris Wells. Come on, Chris. Better but he has it. before. He has uh, before. Yeah. Come on, Chris, give her a call. Uh, and uh, as for that uh, email writer, come on, get a sense of humor, dude. Right, right. <laughs> Some people I mean, are so literal minded. She had, there's nothing to do. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. Uh, well, it's a pleasure being here. It's really fun. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Outstanding job. And I also want to thank producer Chris. He does a great job every day. And I think she'll agree with me when I say producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and a whole lot more, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram, at Benny J Show, and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.